These creatures are nothing but pure motorized instinct. We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions. They must be destroyed on sight. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today and exhibiting a disturbing appetite for human brains is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Can I just like sit here and moan or and not really have to participate? How would that be any different than any other week? That was cold. <laughs> On today's episode, Nakia and I are giving zombie apocalypse service to a gruesome horror double feature, George Romero's original 1978 classic Dawn of the Dead, followed by Zack Snyder's loose remake from 2004. But first, Nakia, I think we should probably talk a little bit about horror movies, since this is the first one we've done for the podcast. Okay. Uh, I also wanted to mention this week that this is our 20th episode of the podcast, and I went back and counted, and the, the second movie we watched today will actually be the 50th movie we have watched overall for the unenthusiastic critic brand, counting the blog and the podcast. Okay, so that feels like a good place to stop and it. <laughs> no, there's no stopping. Just a, you know, good round number, 50 there's, movies. There's no stopping. I, I feel good about walking away from it now. So my point, apart from celebrating this dubious anniversary... Very dubious. ...is that though this is the first horror movie we've done for the podcast, we have actually done a lot of horror movies on the blog. Yes. I think the first three years we did the blog, we tried to do a Halloween movie marathon every October. Mm-hmm. Um, some years we did more movies than other years. <laughs> There were a few years we got kind of a late start on it and only watched two or three movies. But I think we did, you know, 20-some-odd horror movies there. We watched The Exorcist, The Thing, Evil Dead, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, The Wicker Man, Reanimator, a personal favorite of yours. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we watched the original Night of the Living Dead. Yes. And a lot of other stuff, too. You can find all those reviews on the blog. But we watched a lot of horror movies uh, despite or because of the fact that you <laughs> claim to hate horror movies. Yes, I do hate horror movies. Well, do you? I do. Very much so, actually. They're right up there with musicals and films that I don't like to see. Why do you hate horror movies? Um, I mean, I just don't really enjoy them as a genre. I don't like being scared mm-hmm. in general. Um, and I'm also someone that... I hold images in my brain for a long time, uh-huh. and there's just some shit I don't need in there. <laughs> uh, so anything that's going to be, you know, visually disturbing, I just, I don't need to have that in my database. So I just, I tend to avoid those films. Can you can you give me any examples? I mean, it, I mean, okay, so let's take one of your favorites. Okay. Uh, Reanimator, where there is a severed head... <laughs> Attempting to sexually assault a woman while she's tied down on a table, or it, it's just a, so it's just like I don't need that image in my head at all. Don't need it. 
one of the most brilliant scenes in cinematic Is that what we would call that? History. A severed head sexually assaulting a woman. Uh, attempting to pleasure a woman. No, because she is not consenting. <laughs> so it is sexual assault. And he is evil. And he's a severed head. So, yeah. And now that's in my brain forever. And I don't need that. There's no reason to have that. So it's an indelible image. It's it is. A- it is as yes, absolutely. There, there, there are there have been horror films that I've seen that are very successful at creating powerful imagery, and that's part of what their job is, right? Is to like, mm-hmm. freak you out that way. Um, but I just, I don't want that. I don't need it. We talked. I think it was way back in our very first episode about how you sort of grew up on horror movies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because your mother was a she huge. She's a huge fan. So just about every Stephen King adaptation i've seen mm-hmm. i've seen hellraiser i've seen like and sh- sort of shitty horror films so all of the like chucky movies she really liked those <laughs> um yeah i mean pet cemetery you name it mm-hmm. she loved it what's the one with carol ann um poltergeist yes poltergeist <laughs> all of those she was she's a huge huge horror film fan and there was no sort of shielding me from any of that it was just this is what I'm watching, so this is what you're going to be watching. And Well, okay, but she didn't, like, chain you up and make you watch no, the horror movies. she didn't. You were free to leave the room. I absolutely was free to leave my own volition, but I didn't. I mean, are you saying this is, like, some sort of masochistic thing that what, I do? What I am saying, and this has been my experience <laughs> over the 12 years we have been together, mm-hmm. you claim to hate horror movies, I and do. I think you kind of like them. I have... <laughs> As much as you protest watching horror movies with me, uh-huh. I have, like, come into the living room and found you watching a horror movie of your own volition. Yes, that's true. I think the last one, I was watching um, Babadook. Right, which I had tried to get you to watch, <laughs> and you refused to watch it. And then I come in, and you're just watching it without me, which, which frankly really kind of hurt my feelings. Super interesting visuals. And, and maybe that's what it is, is that... I'm attracted to the visualization of it. I like cool visuals, mm. but at the same time, they're disturbing and terrifying, and then they stay with me longer than I, than I want them to. So there, there's an attraction because of the sort of, you know, visual art form, but it, but also this sort of, the hatred that it, it then seeps into my, my database there, and I just can't purge it, so... But you sort of enjoy it. I don't know that I do. Which I think gets to, that's the very essence of what horror is. That's why all of us enjoy it. We, we sort enjoy of enjoy being scared. Being and... scared. We enjoy being miserable. We enjoy I that. I like happiness. In the 2010 edition of his book, Dance Macabre, Stephen King, somewhat of an authority on the subject, sure. said, we take refuge in make-believe terrors so the real ones don't overwhelm us. <laughs> freezing us in place and making it impossible for us to function in our day-to-day lives. We go into the darkness of a movie theater hoping to dream badly because the world of our normal lives looks ever so much better when the bad dream ends. <laughs> so I think I think there is something to I think there's something about subjecting yourself to this kind of controlled experiment mm-hmm. in fear as a way of kind of releasing tensions and a way of I'm not sure. I just I really don't enjoy being afraid just in any form. So like I am terrible at haunted houses. I I absolutely don't go to them anymore. But again, my mom was very much into that stuff. So I remember <laughs> there was uh we went with like my aunt and my two cousins. We went to this haunted house 
and we go in and I'm so terrified that I'm burying my face <laughs> in my mom's back to the point where my glasses fall off uh-huh. in the middle of a fucking haunted house. So my mama being who she is, which is I just pay, you know, however many hundreds of dollars for these damn glasses says, hold the fuck up. Stop the haunted house. My daughter lost her glasses. Turn the fucking lights on. Freddy Krueger helped me find my glasses <laughs> in a haunted house, okay? Because she was not about to continue until we found those damn glasses. <laughs> and I've never done it again. I just, I can't do it. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I don't enjoy it. I, nope. I imagine that kind of just instantly dissipated the tension of the haunted I mean, house. I probably I mean, ruined it for everyone else because yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. you t- once you turn the lights on in a place like that, it's like, this is terrible. Once Freddy Krueger right, is helping you find your find, glasses. Yeah, uh-huh. It's like, you know, a little bit of that goes away. But <laughs> I just, like, I don't like that feeling of just abject terror. I don't, I do not enjoy it at all. Do you like, like, roller coasters or scary rides, that kind of stuff? Um, no, I don't. I've gone to uh, amusement parks a couple of times when I was younger just because it was like everybody was going, so you have to go. Um, and again, the whole time I'm just like, I just want to die. Please just let this end. <laughs> again, okay, so I was on the roller coaster at, I think it was the New York, New York Casino in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and this was uh, right before my high school graduation, and Again, it was, I was on the roller coaster with my cousin because they were out for my graduation and I lost one of the lenses from my glasses popped out while on the ride. And I lost, well, obviously that was just gone forever. Maybe you just need contacts. <laughs> Have you considered this? I don't. I think my glasses are just trying to tell me, bitch, you don't belong here. <laughs> they, they are trying to like escape for me. So no. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. But I don't like that sort of feeling. I, I don't enjoy it at all. <sighs> I think I think you're you're secretly attracted to it. Though. I'm not. I really am not. And as evidence, I will say that a surprising number of the horror movies we watched, mm-hmm. you actually sort of like. I don't know that. I, I mean, I like. I've liked. A you few didn't of hate. Them. I don't think you hated any of them. Reanimator. I hated Reanimator. You actually enjoyed Reanimator. I hated Reanimator. You took issue with that one scene, which, which is, comes at I the mean, end of Reanimator. But you laughed throughout Reanimator. I I laughed. You did. Okay. Uh, you you thought The Exorcist was good? Well, yes, The Exorcist is good. You enjoyed The Thing? I liked Kurt Russell's hair. <laughs> Uh, I think Halloween was actually probably the most effective one we watched as far as... I always get those confused. So which one is that? (laughs) Which hockey mask or... It's it's Mike Myers. It's the Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay, yes. Babysitter. Well, I mean, that one... Classic slasher film. very classic slasher. One, the mask is terrifying. And two, the sound design of of that whole Mm -hmm. um, franchise is amazing. Uh, okay, well, what are, what are some of your favorite horror movies? I mean, I enjoyed Evil Dead, but Evil Dead is one of those, like, funny horror movies. Mm-hmm. It's not really scary. I enjoyed it until the tree rape. Um, <laughs> again, there's some weird sexual shit going on in some of these horror films, and I'm just like, why? Uh, <laughs> but I enjoyed Evil Dead. Uh, Night of the Living Dead I thought was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not super scary, really. There right. were some sort of slightly gross moments when you see the zombies eating the entrails and everything but that scene with a little girl in the basement is pretty the scary scene with a little girl in the basement was pretty scary what else i actually liked a lot of the ones that my mom watched like i like hellraiser i saw the original one <laughs> i haven't seen any of the sequels or anything but I, I liked hellraiser pretty much all the stephen king ones even the terrible ones i've liked pet cemetery is one of my mom's favorites <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 
I, maybe I do like horror movies. Well, I like watching horror movies with you. I don't like watching horror movies with you. <laughs> because you like to do what I call, quote-unquote, enhance the experience. <laughs> which is, like, make faces or try to touch me or scare me at tense moments in the films. And I feel like that is very unfair. And it's going to get you cut one day because I'm just not, not in the mood for it. That is just me, A, trying to give you a better experience. I don't need you to do that. Watching the movie. I don't need you to do that at all. And B, checking in on you to see where your blood pressure is. You already know I have the heart rate of a hummingbird. <laughs> I don't need any help in that arena. I just... So if I accidentally brush your foot That's and not, you no. jump four feet no, into the it air... it is not accidental. I have a sense of where you are... It is not accidental. Of how engaged you are with the movie. No, no. It comes from a place of love and concern. Case in point. Uh-huh. Watching The Descent with you. <laughs> Another great modern horror movie. With these, that you enjoyed, I do enjoy it. Uh, it makes me super claustrophobic, but I enjoy it. Um, so it's all about these these women spelunking in this you know unknown cave, and they come across these sort of albino blind I don't know what cave they, dweller cave dwellers cannibals, and you are also basically albino. <laughs> so when we're in the dark watching it and you're like making weird faces at me, that's it's not cool. It's crossing a line. It's not cool at all. Well, I enjoy watching them with you because you get really into them mm-hmm. and you take issue with the decision-making process yes. of the people in the films. Yes. It's almost sort of like romantic comedies where it's hard for me to suspend belief Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of circumstances. And again, it's the issue of, you know, if it were me... There would there just wouldn't be a movie like in the right. You think you would survive right, every horror exactly. movie? Well, because I just wouldn't put myself like, in the Exorcist. As soon as that bitch started vomiting, you know, pea soup or whatever, leave the house or put her out, and then th- that's just not your daughter anymore. It was, it was her daughter, right? No, I, but it's, it's not. Her child. People, it's not. Though. People feel pretty protective she, no, of their children. But she, for, she's the, she, you know, she's a part of the devil's world now. It's not. It's gone. You got to let that go. Have another baby. It's okay. So. I just don't love nobody that much. So I just... So that's part of the problem. Is like, there just wouldn't be a movie with me. Cabin in the Woods. I wouldn't be going to the fucking cabin. Oh, let's go to this cabin that's in this random ass place with no cell reception. Nope. I'm going to stay here in the city where I can easily access emergency services should they be necessary. In the thing, you had a very simple solution. Burn everybody. Like... What this? I'm gonna test your blood. Just assume <laughs> that everyone has been contaminated with this alien thing and burn everyone. <laughs> Very simple. Like that's just it. We all have to, you know, murder suicide is done. Nobody's coming out of this clean. So <laughs> let's just wrap this up. But yeah, I mean, it's basically, you know, that Eddie Murphy joke is essentially my modus operandi. You go in the house and somebody says, get out. Too bad we can't stay. <laughs> leave immediately. Before you purchase your house, always ask, hey, is there an Indian burial ground here? Did you mm-hmm. did you move the headstones and not the bodies? Okay, sorry, can't can't do this. Thanks, no thanks. But what if, what if the, it's a really good deal on the house? Though? It's not a good deal, though, because you're going to lose just your life. happen to have no. like a massacre no. that took place there. 50 Which years is really ago. Really, all of America. But right, no, exactly. But the, so. deal, the deal is never good enough because you're going to lose your child into a television <laughs> and then you're going to have to have a whole thing where you go get her. And again, I wouldn't. I just leave. Peace out, Carol Ann. Throw out the television. That, right? It's a damn shame. So sad what happened to that little girl. 
So sad. She was only like five. They couldn't right? have been that attached Children to Children die every day. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's all right. You got two more kids. I wouldn't go back for the cat in, in Alien when <sighs> Ripley goes back for the cat. You wouldn't go back for uh, Newt either I, in Alien. No. Newt was like barely speaking and just <laughs> feral. <laughs> no. That's cool. And, there's, and especially if I have to convince you to come with me so that I can help you. Like, I'm going to ask you once. And you, eh, I don't want, okay, bye. Good luck, bitch. You've been living here this whole time. Mm-mm. No. I'm not going to fight anybody to save their life. No. I, I'm, I'm really concerned that someday you and I may have to ride out the zombie apocalypse together. And mm-hmm. I just don't know how that's going to go. I, like, I don't feel like you've got my back. I don't. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I don't. I wouldn't last very long in a zombie. I'm. I'm. Well, no, you don't have no... the shoes for it, for one thing. Fuck off. I have tennis shoes, <laughs> but I do not have. Like, I need a lot of things. <laughs> There's medicine I take every day. Eventually, my prescription, my glasses prescription is going to run out. I'm going to need. Well, apparently, glasses. your glasses are a problem. Right? They really That's, are. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I would lose my glasses yeah. immediately, and then I die. So the actual zombies are not going to help you look no. for your glasses. And it just the world looks like shit. The Babadook is not going to turn the lights on and no. help you find your lens. Exactly. So I have like like you know the people that say oh you know I would totally ride out and succeed in the zombie apocalypse I have no illusions about that I absolutely would not I need to go to Whole Foods like every week <laughs> like it's just I just wouldn't I wouldn't be good I would not survive long unless I can you know know somebody with a boat or something and I can get to an island maybe I could make it but even then again the food is going to be a problem like I can't eat squirrel in the woods like I'm just not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> and again, in zombie apocalypses, apocalypses, how would you say that? <laughs> Apocalypse. Apocalypse. You sort of have to be a team player. Well, you have to make a choice, right? You're either going to be the asshole that's like a dick to everybody that you come right. across, or you're going to join a group to try to survive because there's strength in Right, and every time we watch a horror movie, you claim the role of asshole. You, I really You do. would be the asshole. That's the thing. Zombie apocalypse, if you see a pregnant bitch, shoot her. You know, in a lot of horror movies, there's there's the guy that, like, when the zombies are coming, locks himself in somewhere. Exactly. And closes the door yes. while the other people are trying to get yes. in and be safe. Mm-hmm. You would be that person. Mm-hmm. You would be the one shutting the other survivors out. Yes. And letting the zombies eat them. Mm-hmm. And you're okay with that. Sort of. At least I'm honest about it, though. I don't think it's a long-term plan, though, because eventually it's going to be you and seven billion zombies. I admit that I would die, but I will throw a lot of other bodies (laughs) in the path (laughs) before they get to me. (laughs) Okay. So when the shit goes down, I'm just going to go find my own group of survivors, Mm -hmm. and you do you. That's cold-blooded. Well, you're leaving me no options here. Because you would just trip me and throw me to the zombies if it would slow them down for five seconds. I would. I have to admit that. I really would. I'd feel bad about it, but I would absolutely do it. If it was a demonic possession type situation, the minute I looked at you sideways, you would assume that I was possessed mm-hmm. and shoot me in the head. Yes. Or set me on fire. Or set you on fire. I'm not paying to have a priest come in <laughs> and do all this rigmarole. Like, you're not about to get vomit on my walls and shit like i'm just not dealing with it so let's just let's just end this i mean who are you after that anyway really what do you mean there's no coming back from that you're just you're gonna be fucked up so 
I think that little girl in The Exorcist, I don't even think she remembered what had happened after it was over. But aren't you always going to be giving her the side eye like, for the rest of her life? Here's like, bitch. <laughs> Once she hits those teenage yeah, years, she starts to become a little surly. Yeah, you can time. Like, after that, there's no trust there. Yeah, that's so a fair point. So you might point. as well just kill him. Just, just, <laughs> it's over. It's done. It's done. You just got to make your peace with that. If we're trying to escape and you break your leg, I'm not going to drag you. And it was like, I'm just like, dude, sorry. That's it. You're not making it. You're not real sentimental, are you? I am very sweet and sentimental. I really am. Until you are possessed by the devil. <laughs> or until you're trying to eat my brains. I feel like that's fair. Hey, Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. Really wish you'd let us in. I think I speak for all of us when I say I understand why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand. But here's an FYI you're all gonna die screaming. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable. I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. If you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. I don't wanna nitpick. But is this really your plan? Spend your whole life locked inside a mall Maybe that's okay for now But someday you'll be out of food and guns And you'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough Never had the head for all that bigger picture stuff. But Tom, that's what I do, and I plan on eating you slowly. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're not unreasonable. I mean, okay, so this week we are going to watch Dawn of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Uh, do you know anything about either of these movies? They have zombies. That's all I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, the first is George Romero's follow-up to Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. which, is, as we said, we watched for the blog a few years ago. Right. Which you enjoyed. I did. I thought it was a really smart sort of exploration of sort of using zombies as a way to explore social unrest and, you know, having the, the black protagonist mm-hmm. made it more impactful than had it not been. So this is his sequel made 10 years later, which apparently he had been reluctant to make. He made a couple other movies in between that mm-hmm. were not huge successes and then went back to the, the zombie well <laughs> for this. And I think it's generally considered his masterpiece. It's, if not as groundbreaking as Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. I think it's even more imitated, I think, as far as what the zombie genre became. The tropes, this is yeah. this is the film. And this is, you know, I mean Romero invented a genre. This was really the entire zombie genre can be traced back to Night of the Living Dead. He sort of made it up mm-hmm. and laid all the groundwork for it. 
Which is pretty impressive. Right. That's really hard to do to just create a monster that feels archetypal, that feels like it has always existed. Right. Time Out, in its list of the 100 best horror films of all time, lists Dawn of the Dead at number nine and says, Though night changed the face of horror, this is the film Romero will be remembered for. The wildest, most deliriously exciting zombie flick of them all, and the movie which pretty much defines the concept of socially aware, politically astute horror cinema. Its influence has been felt in every zombie film since, and it remains a near flawless piece of fist-pumping ultraviolence. Fist pumping ultra violence. Yes. It's my favorite. Exactly. <laughs> so how do you feel about zombies? I actually like zombies. Okay. Um, usually because the movies aren't actually about the zombies. The movies right. and the television shows aren't actually about the zombies. The zombies are sort of this background threat. It's usually about how the unaffected people respond to both the zombies and to each other in such a sort of, in a compromised world, right? And it's also, they rep- they can sort of represent a lot of different things that you want to explore. So they can represent social, like racial social unrest. They can mm-hmm. represent consumerism. They can represent just sort of any sort of creeping inevitability or change right. in society. You can overlay zombies on that and make a really sort of astute statement. So I, I like zombies. Um, I, I used to write about that a lot when I was writing, well, for the brief period that I was uh, writing about The Walking Dead mm-hmm. TV show and saying that zombies are not a villain. Right. Like, you can't talk about zombies as a villain right. or even as a monster, really. It's almost like an environmental threat. Right. It's like a plague or something. It's just sort of a backdrop for whatever human drama right. is happening within it. Um, and I think that's definitely true in this movie. I think the first Night of the Living Dead was definitely about racial, social unrest. Mm-hmm. This one is, he's using them to different purposes, which we will talk about afterwards. Okay. But. One movie that I, I sort of like how they use zombies, particularly um, in the beginning, is Shaun of the Dead. Yes. That opening shot where he wakes up and he's walking to like the supermarket or something and he's passing people that either could be just regular humans right i think the first day we see him do that they are just regular humans this sort of idea that we're all walking through life sort of zombified right out of it and not really appreciating or understanding you know our places in the world or anything so yeah i mean i like i think that's why i like zombies is because it can be all these different things yeah and that's a movie that i mean is clearly taken specifically from Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And Edgar Wright, who directed Shaun of the Dead, wrote a very nice eulogy for Romero after he passed away last year. And he talked about showing that film to Romero mm-hmm. um, and want, really wanting his approval, not needing anyone else's approval as right. long as he got George Romero's approval. Right. And he got it. Romero said it was an absolute blast, and that was the only quote they used on the poster. <laughs> For I mean, Shaun if you of have, you know, Romero saying your zombie movie is an absolute exactly. blast is really all you need. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, anytime you can go into a movie not knowing anything about it, I think that's ideal. So I'm not going to give you a lot of background or anything on it. We can talk about some stuff after we watch the movie. Okay. So I guess we don't need to have a whole separate conversation about the second movie because you don't know anything about that one either. I except that it's vaguely a remake of the first movie. And I didn't even know until you told me that it was a vague remake. I thought it was just a, a remake. So. I mean, it's it's a remake, but it's it's a very loose remake. The okay. characters are different. The story is different. Okay. It's really just the setting that is the same. And, and the zombies. And the zombies. Although <laughs> even the zombies are different. They're a completely different kind of zombie. Okay. 
in the second movie as in the first movie. Uh, the second movie, the 2004 movie, is directed by Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. It's his first movie. It's his only horror movie. And it is literally the only one of his movies that I like. Is he the guy that does like the Superman? Yeah. Okay. Now he's doing the DC mm-hmm. universe. And I hate his movies. <laughs> Why do you hate his movies? He just, I mean, it's, to me, he's very much a flash over substance director. He's a very technically skilled director. Mm -hmm. I don't feel any soul in his stuff. I don't feel a lot of intelligence in his stuff. Um, He also did Watchmen, the Watchmen movie. Yeah, yeah. Which was an almost slavishly faithful adaptation of Alan Moore and the graphic Dave novel. Gibbons graphic novel. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like it, it lost the whole point of it. It was just... So he can sing the notes, but he just gets the song completely wrong. Mm-hmm. He okay. just doesn't... So not even fun on just like a popcorn movie sort of level? Uh, no. In fact, I think with the with the DC movies, that's exactly what he loses, is mm-hmm. any sense of fun. Um, I think the Marvel movies do a pretty good job of capturing some of that, the silliness of right. the comic books, even when they're trying to do something serious. And those movies are just dark and joyless to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why the horror movie is a better right. a better fit for him. Now, speaking of the Marvel movies, his Dawn of the Dead is... It's written by James Gunn, who is now the writer-director of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Oh, well, those are more fun. And And those are more fun. And that, I also think, part of the success of of this Dawn of the Dead can be attributed to, to James Gunn. But it's a really well done. It's a really effective movie. I, I actually really like it. Um, and I remember being excited about Zack Snyder when I saw this movie, mm-hmm. thinking he was going to do really interesting things. And then his career has, to me, been one of diminishing <laughs> returns ever since. I think it is a well-respected movie, and we can talk about some of the reviews afterwards. I think the general sense is that it is not as satirically smart as the original, as Romero's original. Mm-hmm. But that it is, in some ways, even a more effective horror movie thriller. Okay. So, but we will see what you think of it. Okay, well, let's uh, let's go watch some zombie movies. All right. All right. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room! Not that room! <laughs> Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the Dead. Meet me on the roof at 9 o'clock. Get out. I don't believe it. We're going to get out in a chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Shoot it, man. Now, accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. Okay. During the break, Nikki and I watched the first part of our Creature Double feature, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1978. So the first, The Night of the Living Dead, was made for, I think, about $100,000 total shoestring budget. This one, he had a little more money to work with. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he had about half a million dollars, most of it provided by the Italian horror director Dario Argento, who was a fan, and actually invited Romero to his house in Rome to write the script for this movie, and had some input on the script. He had the European rights, including editing rights, so one of the umpteen million versions of Dawn of the Dead floating around is Dario Argento's cut, which basically took out all of the satire and made it a tighter action movie. That's not the one we watched. Okay. The movie was released unrated in the States <laughs> uh, because it was going to get an X rating and that would have been death for it. I don't think it's worthy of an X. <laughs> well, at the time, it was definitely <laughs> worthy of an X. The MPAA demanded cuts to make it not an X and Romero was not going to cut it, so he convinced his distributors to release it. Unrated, and it was a hit. Uh, It made about $5 million in the States, which translates to about $50 million now. I think it made $55 million worldwide, so that's a pretty good return on investment. And the reviews were mixed. (laughs) Uh, Variety just had a short review. It's uncredited. It said Romero's script is banal when it's not incoherent. Wow. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times walked out of the movie (laughs) after 15 minutes. But Leonard Malton called it an apocalyptic horror masterpiece. And our local boy, Roger Ebert, was one of the early admirers. His review in 1978 says Dawn of the Dead is one of the best horror films ever made. And as an inescapable result, one of the most horrifying. (laughs) It is gruesome, sickening, disgusting, violent, brutal, and appalling. It is also... Brilliantly crafted, funny, droll, and savagely merciless in its satiric view of the American consumer society. Nakia, what did you think of Dawn of the Dead? I enjoyed it, actually. You were just getting soft in your I old know, age. I know, I'm... It's just, we're gonna have to change the name of the program, because I... I did enjoy this. Though, I mean, I enjoyed Night of the Living Dead, so I was going into this thinking that I would enjoy it. Um, it's a very different film it's than a, Night of the Living Dead. It's a very Dead. different film from Night of the Living Dead, but I, I trust Romero, mm-hmm. so... I went into it with trust uh, and an open mind. But yeah, I mean, I I agree with Ebert in that, you know, it's gory and violence and pretty brutal at points, but it's also very funny. Mm-hmm. And there is this sort of undercurrent of satire of, of consumerism that also makes it quite smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't, I know, I think... You know, at the top of our discussion, you said that Dawn of the Dead is considered Romero's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I haven't seen the sort of trilogy of zombie films, but right. having seen these two, I actually think... I've only seen the third one once. I don't remember it very well. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe we'll watch that again one of these days. I think I still, I think that Night of the Living Dead is the better film to me. Personally, I think... I think aesthetically, aesthetically, it's definitely the better film. It's the better film. I also think that the sort of social critique is is handled in a, a more nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Well, Romero apparently would say that there was no social critique in right. the first film. Well, that's what makes it interesting, and right? <laughs> there's... I, there's a quote from... Uh, this is John McCarty from his book, The Fear Makers. He says... It's hard to believe those messages end up in his films without Romero's knowledge or permission, <laughs> which is totally true. It, like, yeah. we said that when we watched Night of the Living right. Dead, too. It's like, there is no way right. that was not intended. I mean, if you swap out the character of Ben with a white actor, it just changes the whole film. Right. And the power of the film. I just felt like Night of the Living Dead was so smart, and it was 
layered in a way. Like you could just take it as a straightforward zombie film mm-hmm. and not do the sort of analysis and okay, what does it mean that Ben is a black man? What does it mean that this is a black man running to into a house full of white people right. who don't trust him and don't, you know, respect his opinion even though he's trying to save them. And it brings into mind, MLK has this really powerful quote, saying, you know, I fear I may have integrated my people into a burning house. So this uh-huh. idea that Ben is running, right. like the idea of integration of black people, you're running into this house that is inherently uh, unsafe and in- inherently unstable and built on something that cannot be sustained. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you have that really powerful end scene where Ben, the black man, ends up surviving the zombie attack only to be shot by this sort of vigilante posse. Right. And then he's, you know, his body's sort of dragged out and it mimics the the photographs of um, lynchings and things that were happening at the mm-hmm. time. This was a few months after MLK had been assassinated. And so it's just, it's, it's sort of, it's really powerful. And yeah, I mean, so on an aesthetic level, I think I liked it better. I think the way that the sort of messaging, however, sort of accidental. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why it seems sort of subtle and... Yeah. Not heavy-handed because he wasn't really trying to tell that some story. Of it, right. Some of it was accidental. Right. Um, and this wasn't. And Romero no. admits that, too. He's yeah. like, you know, it's it's about as subtle as a hatchet to the face, he yeah. said. <laughs> but, I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, this one is more fun, though. It is absolutely more fun. I would, This is definitely... Night of the Living Dead is sort of the smart horror film. Dawn of the Dead is a popcorn movie that also has yeah. you know a message in it and that and that was all intentional mm-hmm. and it's they you know a lot of people have talked about the colors you know this was this was full color right. versus the black and white the black and white of the night of the living dead and they were very conscious of the color and romero said he wanted it to look like a comic book right and it did but that's it absolutely did yeah. i mean the the makeup on the zombies was almost blue like i think it was yeah. supposed to read gray but it reads sort of blue, and then the blood was just... <laughs> Tom Savini, who is the makeup artist, has said both of those things were mistakes. Like, when he goes back and looks at it now... I think they work, though. He says both of those things. He, he would have done those differently. I sort of loved it. And, in fact, in one of the many... I don't know if it's an official version or a bootleg version that's circulating, they've actually, like, recolored the blood. No! See, I... No, because the blood... It was so just bright. Red and thick. It's almost. Like, it's a little pink. It's, it's almost little, like it's all, it's, it was just like paint, cheap so, cake like, frosting just, yeah, kind of it stuff. Was ridiculous, yeah. but it also made it grosser uh-huh. because it was just so like you would see zombies biting into someone. It would just be this ooze. <laughs> it's like the lava that comes out of kids' uh, volcanoes that they make for school. That very uh-huh. thick sort of red. Um, so I thought it totally worked. I was on all on board with it, um, and it added to the sort of campy feel of it. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a creepy level of irony to that, which is that Tom Savini had been a uh, combat photographer in Vietnam mm. and said that he was he was drawing on a lot of stuff that he actually saw there That's a in bummer, making man. this movie. <laughs> so. <laughs> Translating those experiences to this <laughs> is kind of a, yeah, <laughs> makes him an interesting guy at the yeah, very least. Yeah. So should we just sort of dig into the... Yeah, let's kind of go through it. So we we open in... A television studio. A television studio. Um, and things are just breaking down <laughs> fast. I think I think the first two segments of this movie, we start out with kind of like the breakdown of information. Yes. 
And then we go to the cop raid, which we'll right. talk about later, which is sort of this breakdown of civil order. Right. And, um, but yeah, they're they're trying to keep, stay on the air. One of the producers is like wor- still worried about ratings. Right. Francine, who is our hero, one of our heroes, one of our protagonists, played by Galen Ross, she's saying, well, the information we have on the screen is not right. We're going to send people to He's like, it doesn't matter because they'll stop watching. He's like, right, because right. people are going to tr- turn it off. Right. You know, he's he's all worried about ratings. Right. Uh, but then people start yelling at each other on the air and swearing on the air, and it's like, it's all just breaking down. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, an interesting statement on, you know, the people that are supposed to have the answers have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. in this moment and, and can't, you know, separate fact from fiction at this point and... And we also just get the information that leads into the next scene, which is that the government has outlawed private residences. Right. Has said you cannot stay in your private residence no matter how safe you think it is, mm-hmm. and you have to give up your dead. And that's the situation that leads into the raid. At the public housing On project. the tenement building. Right. That <laughs> was rough. That was super rough. So we have basically, I'm assuming they're like National Guard sort of police at this point. Yeah, it's a little it's, unclear. It's very unclear. And we don't know no if it's really unclear just because. Badges or markers or right. anything. The costumes were not great. <laughs> so it's like they're sort of army, they're sort of police. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Which, I mean, would probably... They are authority right, figures. which would probably be the case, would be, like, you would not necessarily know who was coming in to <laughs> roust you out. But, so there have been zombies reported in this public housing project, so the National Guard slash police uh, descend on it. Mm-hmm. We see a number of the agents on the roof, and one agent in particular... This is Wooly. ...is very passionate. <laughs> About his duty Uh and basically goes on to say, you know, there's a bunch of Puerto Ricans and N-words in there. Yeah. We need to get them out. Blow all their asses off. Blow all their asses off. They've got it better than I got. Yes, which is a theme that keeps coming up in this podcast. You want to talk about that? (laughs) Pissed off white dudes (laughs) who feel that black and brown people living in public housing projects has it better than he has yeah. <laughs> and he's just super excited to get in there and yes. start shooting people he is very very excited so he basically i mean he they go into the the building and you know floor by floor they're just taking people out mainly zombies not always um, right, pretty indiscriminate. <laughs> he he's completely indiscriminate. He's, yeah, he's basically he's just, just like I have an opportunity moves. to shoot brown, black, and brown people, so I'm right. going to take it. Um, luckily, he is eventually, you know, taken out of commission. But yeah, that was a pretty sort of stark reflection on sort of how a lot of people, a lot of white people, particularly in cities, were feeling about public housing and what Mm -hmm. that represented in their neighborhoods and what type of people were living Mm -hmm. in in public housing. And so you have this idea of like all the ills of society were housed in these units, in these urban areas, like every pathology that you could think of, it was there. Right. So it was really interesting to have this idea that there was this, you know, concentration of zombies in public housing that we needed to quote unquote deal with. Mm -hmm. We need to sort of clear them out. Yeah, I mean, the standard line about these two movies is that Night of the Living Dead was about racism and this one is about consumerism. Mm -hmm. But Romero is not done with racism No, it's still about racism um, and classism and ideas around segregation and gentrification. Like public housing, you know, black and brown folks did not build public housing for ourselves. (laughs) They were built, you know... 
to isolate us. They were built. Really? You to, didn't say this is how we want right. to live. This is we want to live yeah. in these, you know, raggedy ass high rises. Mm-hmm. That you know, no, you know, they were built to house and isolate what was considered the sort of quote unquote problem. And in this instance, the problem has become zombies. And so we need to go in and clear them out. And what do we do after that? We flee to the suburbs. Because that is what white people did. White flight. White people were like, there's a lot of black and brown people in these cities. There's a lot of public housing popping up. And so I need to go live in the suburbs. And so that is what our heroes do. All right, let's let's stick with the raid for a minute, though. Because okay. there's, there's a few good moments in there to talk about. There, there's just some nice gory moments there are and terrible horrific gory moments. Movies, gory movies. Um, mm-hmm. the, the guy whose head completely explodes is yeah. the most famous shot in the movie. Doesn't look great if you freeze on it, but I'm sure <laughs> if, you know, because he's pretty obviously just a dummy head. I was eating something with sriracha. I remember now. And I was like, that was a bad idea. Yeah. That was poor planning I, I on my I part. Warned you I was just like, that. oh, God. <laughs> There's a husband and wife where the wife thinks her husband is okay, even though he's very clearly a zombie. And that, and that has been sort of a trope in a lot of zombie films and television is the loved one who refuses to accept the fact. <laughs> that their lover or child or parent has turned and it's like no no i need to hug them it's like that bitch is gone get away and that's why you got to ask and again that. as we discussed earlier this is just not how you would approach no! the situation if i had a one degree fever you would shoot me in the head he's walking towards you obviously not okay <laughs> if i had a limp if i had twisted my ankle running from the racist cop and came up the stairs with a twisted ankle you would shoot my face I off. I would basically be doing, like, uh, road tests on you. I'd be like, say your alphabet backwards or I'm going to shoot you in the fucking head. <laughs> and then, I think the most interesting moment is at the end of the raid, they've, they've cleared out the basement where they were hoarding their dead, mm-hmm. and the priest comes in, and I think it's, is it the two cops that are there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's two cops. It's Peter, Peter and... and Roger. Yes. Or our two, right. again, two more of our protagonists. Um, but they've cleared out the basement of all the dead that were being hoarded there. Mm-hmm. And the priest says something like, he's like, okay, we'll do what you want now. You're stronger than us now, but soon I think they'll, they'll be, be stronger, stronger than you. Mm-hmm. Which again, as far as this, just this whole breakdown of authority, this whole breakdown right. of the power structure is a really interesting moment. It is. Well, and even, I mean, you know, we saw on the roof before the police, you know, stormed the, the housing project. And then throughout that whole sort of sequence... They stop seeming like authority figures. They start to seem, I mean, uh, Roger in particular mm-hmm. talks about, I could just run. I could just go. Yeah. And like, I don't need to, you know, in this idea yeah. of just, you know, there, no one's necessarily interested in being an authority figure or a hero in this point. I need to save right. myself and I need to get out of this. And a little later, Peter says something like, he says, we're bad guys now. Right. We're, we're thieves. thieves now. Yeah. Like, we're not cops anymore. Right. That doesn't matter in this world. So, right. Right. Okay, so yes, then we have the, the white flight. The white flight. The with suburbs, the one black dude. With one black dude. There's always one black dude in the suburb. <laughs> one black family, right? <laughs> I like I like when he says uh, he says he's leaving brothers behind. And she's like, are they real brothers? <laughs> or street brothers. And he's just like, bitch. And he's like, both. <laughs> Like, that's a very touch my hair moment. I'm like, <laughs> I thought you would like that. Let's just not do this, white lady, please. Back off, Becky. We don't need to chit chat. Um, 
But before, so they all congregated this at the uh, the helicopter of the news station, mm-hmm. and they are planning to use that for escape. And before because the, Francine's the fourth member is Francine's boyfriend. He's like uh, the weatherman or something. What's, what's his name? Douchebag. Steven. Flyboy. Steven. Yeah, they call him Flyboy <laughs> most of the movie. Steven is, yes, he's the traffic cop. Right, traffic guy. cop. Yeah. Um, but they run into another group of police officers who are scavenging themselves and trying to find their own way to sort of escape the situation. Right. And one moment that I really liked was one of the officers from the other group goes to the to the um, helicopter and says, does anybody have a cigarette? I love that, yes. And everyone's like, no. 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 Everybody, look, they all look at each other, no, <laughs> And no he cigarette. walks away, and then they all light up a cigarette, <laughs> and it's like, you're already hoarding. Yeah. You're already like, bitch, I got eight cigarettes. Every man for I am himself. not about to give you one of my cigarettes. Like, it's not happening. <laughs> so there's already this just like, oh, I need to save my damn cigarettes. Yeah. No, I, I don't have any cigarettes. Human decency is just out the window. <laughs> like, you can't completely. even get a fucking cigarette. So, <laughs> I just thought that was like a perfect moment of just sort of this sort of slow you know degradation of any sort of niceties that yeah. we have sort of this illusion that we created for ourselves that we have some sort of humanity and love for right. each other. it's just like that shit breaks down when things get real <laughs> and then there's a great scene when the helicopter is taking off from the rooftop there's a high rise in the background and you see like floor by floor the lights of the high rise start to go out and so this idea that the grid is just totally mm-hmm. breaking down mm-hmm. um i thought that was a really powerful visual so i mean we get we're, we're gonna have to move fairly quickly through this movie mm-hmm. but there's uh, there's so much good stuff to talk about i mean even before we get to the mall there's they stop for gas there's the scene where the kids, the two little kids, attack. Yeah, Peter. Peter. Mm-hmm. And he has to shoot them. And he has to shoot them. Those were Tom Savini, the makeup man's kids. Nice. <laughs> Bring your kids to work day. You're going to be zombies today. And that's where we discover that Steven cannot shoot. For shit. Which is a reality. Most people in a zombie apocalypse, you will find you can't aim for shit. Yeah. And you're going to need to practice. You're going to need to work on it. But they are just, like, every time he picks up a gun, they're like, just don't do that. Right. Just You're don't, wasting bullets. Don't You're do that. Ammo, don't point dude. that gun anywhere near me. Yeah. You are dangerous. We also get the scene of, which again is something that sort of, that comes up in a lot of zombie films and television of the group of like rednecks hunters who are very excited at the opportunity to be able to hunt and shoot people. Yeah. And they're just sort of. These are like the same guys that killed Ben at the end of of Night of the Living Dead. They're just like, this "This is my chance. They're like, you said they're like tailgating. They were tailgating. They had like beers and shit and sitting on their like pickup trucks like, oh, waiting for the zombies to come so we can shoot them. Yeah. It's basically their purge. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. And then I think I was all in when there was a scene there. So they're at the gas station with the helicopter. They're, they're gassing up the helicopter. The propellers are whirring. <laughs> we see a zombie come up <laughs> and approach the helicopter. It's, it's such a long shot. It's such it's a, a long, because you see him kind of Just lurching slowly towards the helicopter. Away and you think he's going to get, I think it's Francine, right? That's at the helicopter. Is it, no, it's, I think it's, is it Flyboy? It might be Flyboy or Francine. But, but right. one of them, he's coming up behind them <laughs> and you think he's going to get And them. you're like, look out! Look out! And then, (laughs) the helicopter blade just chops the top of the zombie's head off. And I just let out such a gleeful, like, yes! (laughs) And 
hits that perfect sort of popcorn horror B movie sort of scene, uh, just like so fucking ridiculous, but so perfect and great. And I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm doing it. Let's do it. It's what it's isn't it in uh, in Zombie Land mm-hmm. where. They talk about, like, the zombie kill of the week. Yes. So we're going to have to talk... At the end of this movie, let's talk about what was the zombie kill <laughs> of the film. <laughs> but that is certainly a contender. <laughs> but yes, so they gas up, and they come upon a mall in yep. the suburbs, which, you know, the mall is the marker of idyllic suburban living. You don't have to leave the suburbs. Everything is here. You never have to go back to the scary city. Um, And they realize that it will sort of provide, initially, supplies so that they can sort of keep moving. Right. But then they get a little comfortable. (laughs) They realize we could just live here forever. We could just live here. Which, again, you know, sort of says something about who we are as Americans, this idea that we sort of isolate ourselves in these, um, sort of erect these spaces that create false senses of security. Mm -hmm. And in times of revolt or times of unrest, what we seek is we seek comfort we seek normalcy, and we want to go back to our habits, and our habits have a lot to do with consumerism. It has a lot to do with... Right. Sort of- and, and the interesting thing about this movie is that I can't tell whether you were talking about the humans or the zombies there when you said that. Right. Because it's really the same thing. And when they get to the mall and they see all the zombies milling about, Francine says, why do they come here? And Peter's like, it's just instinct. It's right. a habit that they it's used like, to this do. This is what they used to do. Mm-hmm. This was an important place in their lives. Mm-hmm. They're just drawn here. Right. And so are the living. Mm-hmm. And as they're getting comfortable, Francine is one of the only ones, she says something like, you all are hypnotized by this place. Yeah. It's that, so that's bright. La- that's later in the movie. And but you, yeah. you can't see that it's a prison. Yeah. She's the only one. The right. men are all about they're being all in this about place. It. They are all about They're having about fun. It. They're sliding down the escalator. They're shopping they're their shopping. asses off. And buying. Well, not buying. <laughs> um, you know, taking clothes, taking jewelry, taking money. And it's this idea of just like. The ridiculousness of that. Like, yeah. There is no money anymore. There is, like, that's yeah. just not a thing. And yet, our instinct is to hoard material things. Right. Even in a world where they mean nothing. We're jumping around again, but yeah, at sorry. the end of the movie, no, that's fine. We're going to do it. <laughs> but at the end of the movie, when the motorcycle gang is mm-hmm. raiding the mall, one of them is carrying a television, and the other one's like, What are you going to watch on right. that thing? And he just drops it. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah. But just, yeah, that instinct to just hoard stuff, even though it's useless to right. you. Yeah, I mean, the, the the sort of meat of the movie is them sort of going through and cleaning out the mall of the mm-hmm. zombies that are in there and then building themselves a little home. Yeah, that's the first half of when they're in the mall. And there's a lot of running around and there's a lot of, you know, Romero makes great use of those glass doors that mm-hmm. are enclosing everything. So with the zombies are on one side and they lure them all to one side mm-hmm. and then they run to the other side and they sneak out and they what they need to do and that's all great and that's all fun and everybody's good then it's kind of when once they have them all cleaned out what do you do with yourself right then they're bored and that's when things start to go to hell yeah because it's like they're just stuck that like francine says it's just a prison right that's all it is it's just a nicer prison right but in there we get some really good sort of visuals i mean (laughs) the the sight of zombies sort of ambling up and falling down escalators. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just really sort of silly and ridiculous. Classic, 
comic situation. Um, I feel like you could hear that. Is it is it Benny Hill that like yeah the, the, the yakety sax <laughs> sort, of like, sort of thing? Over and it. in fact, Romero. Okay, so f- here's where I should have done this at the top. We do need to talk about the version that we watched. Okay, so we watched the 139 minute version, mm-hmm. um, which is it's sometimes referred to as the director's cut, but it's not. It's the film. It's the version that screened at the Cannes Film Festival. This means nothing to you, but it'll mean to the aficionados out there. They'll know which version I'm talking about. But the big difference is it it has more. It has scenes that have been cut from some of the other versions, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I picked it. But what you sacrifice for that is it doesn't have the original score by Dario Argento and Goblin that was made for the movie. It uses very little of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of people that love that music. Goblin did all of Dario Argento's movies, so it's a very distinctive style um but instead for this version which was cut very quickly together for the Cannes film festival uh romero used a lot of just stock music okay yeah so that's where we get like that sort of carnival music right, that very we hear throughout music, the film. Right. and i like it yeah i mean nothing against the goblin score mm-hmm. but i like those choices some of the classical music and right. some of the sort of well because it makes for an interesting juxtaposition with the visual because you right. have these really sort of gory horrible beings ambling around to this sort of peppy mall music right um so it's just this sort of i think it's cognitive dissonance that happens um and again it's this idea of like this very american place it's like like pure americana is the mall yeah and and we have a fantastic cross-section of people in this there's a hari krishna in there there's a hari krishna in there (laughs) there's a nun who gets her habit stuck in the door And Francine lets her out. Like, she's stuck in the door, and Francine's staring at her, and then she just suddenly decides, no, we gotta let the nun go. (laughs) And I also, like, speaking of the sort of the glass doors to the individual sort of um, department stores within the mall, the visual of the zombies scratching and banging at the door, which is very sort of reminiscent of how... Of news footage that you see on Black Friday, on Black Friday, in, in right? Particular, Which is like, actually when we should have watched yeah. this movie. Now that I re- now that I think about it, I realize Let me we should have saved this for Black Friday. I need to get that VCR. Or whatever. <laughs> Not these people don't buy VCRs anymore. I need to get that. <laughs> I need to get that whatever need that, that eight track player. <laughs> You know, for my kid or whatever. So I thought that was really interesting. And again, just making a statement of like, you, we're not that far off. Yeah. From who these zombies are. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned earlier that's that the opening scenes of Shaun of the Dead, right? Where it is just normal people going through right. life and they look like zombies. Right. Like that's what. Mm-hmm. That's from this movie, I would say. That yeah. That's you know. Um. But yeah, the zombies on the ice skating rink in the mall was a great <laughs> I, shot. Again, just a perfect comedic setup. <laughs> So these sort of weirdly slapstick humor in the middle of this terribly gory, horrible mm-hmm. film. And it comes back again when the when the rival gang storms the mall. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That that is the culmination of the, the horror and the comedy coming together. They have pies. It's literally a pie fight. And they're hitting zombies <laughs> in the face with pies. And then they're like robbing one zombie. This they rob her of yeah, her, they jewelry take her jewelry. And shit. Off. I was like, you're robbing a fucking zombie. <laughs> like it's just like Total sport and not, yeah. it's just, it's about the thing. It's about yeah. material things and it's about the sport of it. Um, and it's also, it's also this trope that we, that every zombie story gets to eventually. Walking Dead has been there for five seasons or so now where it's like the zombies are not really the threat. No. It's other people, it's the other people. who are the threat. Right. And this sort of takes that to the extreme where the zombies are just something to make fun of. Right. They're just running past them. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not just the motorcycle. Like, Peter and Roger earlier in the movie are doing stuff like that, yeah. too. Where it's like they're just sort of laughing and just kind of running right. past the zombies. and Right. And that's very... I know you say that's the right. remake treats the zombies differently. Yeah. But in the, because they're so slow and lumbering, right. they're almost comically not a threat. It's like, I can just walk past you and sort yeah. of move around you and I will be fine. And yet, two of our heroes do not make it out of here no. alive. <laughs> Flyboy gets bitten. Yeah. And poor... How does he... I don't remember how he gets bitten. He was in the elevator, trying to go up the elevator shaft. Oh, that's right. I think he gets shot first by one of the motorcycle guys. Because he ran out and started fighting... Because, again, so his instinct was to protect the mall. Like, right. I've taken this mall. I need to protect what's mine. I'm Peter's not upstairs hiding out, right. saying, like, they don't care about us. They'll take the stuff and leave. Right. And Stephen gets all, screw you guys. We took this yeah. place. You're not going to take it from us. Yeah. And he runs out and starts shooting at them. And, again, he can't shoot. Right. So it's inherent greed and consumerism that does yeah. in- inevitably does him in. Yeah. Yeah. And then Roger gets bitten moving the trucks. Moving they the trucks move the trucks right. to block the entrance mm-hmm. and he started to go a little crazy at he that started point to anyway. lose it a little he started bit. to yeah. yeah i mean he was i feel like he was losing it back at the project the housing project where he was just like i could just run i could just it, he was sort of already on, kind the of edge. on the edge you think yeah maybe and then he was also one that was a little bit gleeful and cavalier about the situation right so he's the one that runs and slides down right. the escalator and he's just having a ball. That just makes you make stupid decisions yeah. and you're just going to die. Once again, the black man is the same, the pillar of strength. Right. And I don't know. I mean, yes. So they do know. They do know that once someone is bitten, they are going to turn. Right. Peter says he's seen that before. He right. saw that happen before. But because I guess they're friends or whatever, <laughs> he allows him to just have this sort of slow death and then turn. Whereas again... Right. I would just shoot you once you're bitten. Yes, I know you would. Like, it's just... You would not wait for the exact no. second Why? I come back it's as a zombie painful. and lurch at you. Why am I going to watch you deteriorate in front of my eyes? <laughs> because maybe I won't. Maybe I won't come no, back but, as a but zombie. But you always do. That's what, always that's do. what Roger says. Right. He's like, I'm going to try not to come I'm back. I'm going to fight this. Nope. <laughs> it's not cancer. You're not going to fight it. You're turning into a zombie. <laughs> We can see it happening on your... Your face is already turning blue. You're you're shriveling up. So (laughs) we should just shoot you now in the head. This way, say your final piece. And then I'm going to put you... Go look at the flowers. It's time for you to go. Like, not this... Oh, we're going to wait a week and watch you turn into a zombie. Nope. Not doing it. All right. Well, we haven't talked about we haven't talked about Francine at all. Francine was actually an interesting character. You know, when they initially get to the mall, the dudes do what dudes do, which is just go and make plans and do things without her, without right. discussing with her. And she is very clear in saying, "You need to include me in the decision making. Yeah. I need to know what's going on. I am not the damsel in distress. I am not your nursemaid. I'm not here to feed you yeah. and take care of you. I'm here to, you know, also." figure out how to get us out of this situation so i actually really yeah, appreciate she's a good character uh, she was also pregnant uh which is right and again get, gets pissed off because they're all sitting around discussing whether right, she's going to she abort, have abort the child right which for some reason peter knows how to do yeah, he's like, there's I a whole backstory that. there yeah, that we like, don't know anything why about. peter do you know how to give someone an abortion <laughs> that's weird peter peter's had a full life yeah so i feel like that's just like i'm gonna kick her in the stomach or something like i just feel like it was gonna be something terrible um <laughs> So, 
Yes. So I actually, I liked the character of Francine. And again, she was one of the only ones to sort of recognize that situation for what it was, which was just, this is just another prison. We cannot stay here. Yeah. This is not good. Um, so that, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a way in which the motorcycle gang invading them all kind of liberates them. Yes. That's what sets them free. It pushes them out of their comfort. Otherwise they might've stayed there yeah. forever and probably have gone slowly mad. Yeah. But that definitely would have been a shining situation. Like it would have turned into yeah, a shining in that right. moment. But yeah, I mean, they they did what we do as humans, and particularly as Americans, is we find a place that's comfortable and we dig in our heels, or that we yeah. has the illusion of comfort. So it like what that that the motorcycle gang showing up. It's like suddenly we have the people we know and the zombies are kind of on the same side. Mm-hmm. Like they are again just reinforcing that whole the relationship between them Mm -hmm. that it's the motorcycle gang against the zombies and our heroes. Right. But yeah, then, I mean, Francine has been ready to leave anyway. Right. She said that before in the movie. She's like, let's just take her, what we need right. and leave. She's the one that's like, I need, I want to learn how to fly the fucking helicopter. Because right. she she knows Flyboy's not going to last that long. Uh-uh. I mean, the, yeah, the motorcycle gang is an interesting sort of device. Um, we don't really know anything about them. We don't know their backstory. We can make assumptions about them based on sort of how they look and behave. But... In thinking, you know, about how this is some sort of statement on class and ideas of segregation and isolation in American cities, you have this motorcycle gang coming in and it's a safe bet that even before the zombie apocalypse, they gave no shits. Right. And they were probably living on the sort of margin of Mm -hmm. society and they didn't, it's like, those were the people that they really didn't have a lot to lose. And if, if if they just didn't buy into the idea of sort of American social structure and capitalism, or they didn't buy into it because they couldn't buy into it, that then carried over into this sort of new world where they could thrive. Right. In a way, things are not that different. They're comfortable operating Um, like this. And And they are now in a position where they can sort of directly threaten a power structure, which was this mall and these right. sort of community of people who had decided that they were going to be in this mall and have everything in the mall to themselves. So again, this idea of like that you could move yourself away from these elements in society, but these elements will find you and you will have to sort of confront them. And that it isn't necessarily as black and white of who is the hero and who is the villain, really. Right. So then right at the very end, Peter doesn't want to go. Peter wants to commit suicide. Yeah. Peter's done. And actually, the, apparently the original script of this, they both committed suicide. Mm. Um, or he committed suicide. And then I know the original plan was Francine was going to get the rotor blade to the head. Oh, on purpose? That I, I'm, I'm not clear on that, whether that was supposed to be something that happened uh, as an accident or whether she committed suicide. That's a really bad way to commit suicide is to stick your head into the the helicopter rotor blades. You're committed. Uh, But they didn't go that way. They didn't end up going that way. Mm -hmm. Peter has a last minute... Desire to live. Desire to live, (laughs) I guess. Or at least a fight. Right. And And we get this kind of like A-team music (laughs) kick in. As he plows through a mass Uh of zombies single-handedly. Gets to the roof just as Francine is taken off. Jumps to the the helicopter. And they have little to no gas so they won't be going far so they're gonna die soon well, I, still that's as hopeful as one of these movies can end i think that's you're, 
Well, you're going to die later. Sure. But I, it's, it seems like they both think it's better than staying in the mall would have been. Right. Like that that would have been the really tragic ending right. of this movie is if they just stayed in the mall forever. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we need to move on to the next movie. But any particular moments you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? We talked about the exploding head. We talked <laughs> about the rotor, the helicopter rotor to the head. Uh, I think it was the Harry Krishna that got the screwdriver to the ear. I don't remember how the Harry Krishna died. That's possible. Might have been. Somebody gets a screwdriver to the <laughs> ear. Yeah, those are all pretty good. Uh, I think my favorite is the helicopter blade to the head. Yeah, I think that's probably got to be the winner. Just, yeah, I mean, just the setup for it was so good. I realized watching this, and I mean, this was, again, they had half a million dollars. That was not a lot of money, even in 1978. Mm-hmm. So the extras were friends and family <laughs> and people hired off the street. I read somewhere they got, like, extras on the film got, like, 20 bucks on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that was their pay for being I survived Dawn of the Dawn Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Uh, the biker gang was an actual biker gang. Nice. Uh, though one of them is Tom Savini, the makeup artist, special effects artist. But I realized watching this that zombie movies are great because zombies are bad actor proof. Yeah. Like you can be a terrible actor and still be a really good zombie. Yeah. Because you watch the extras and they are, they're all doing slightly different things. (laughs) They, (laughs) some of them are committing to it more than others. And yet, somehow it all works, it just works. because they're just zombies. They're just jambling along, and yeah. And just kudos to Romero for featuring black men in leading or supporting roles who kick ass and are often the hero. I don't know when the tide turned and it became that black people died in horror movies. All of it's because that used to be the sort of trope was that black people always died. But, you know, with these two films, with Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, you have two pretty strong yep. leading black actors. As the protagonist. Who are not overly stereotyped. No, not at all. Yeah, better. it's better representation than yeah. we get in a lot of movies today. All right, well, it sounds like the first half of our zombie double feature was a success for you. Sure, yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, so you're looking forward to the second one? No, because it's not Romero. I'm basically <laughs> on board with anything Romero. Any Outside of that, I'm not interested. Okay, so we can watch all of the rest of the Romero movies sure. on a later date. We absolutely could. Okay. I think these are considered the two best. There may be diminishing returns after that. Okay. And some of the later ones, he went back to Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead. These are all later movies that I I haven't seen them. So Mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to to watch those. So, all right, I'll put them all on the list. (laughs) (laughs) We could do like one every Halloween. Okay. Okay. So let's go see what Zack Snyder does with this idea. I'm not looking forward to this. (laughs) Isn't he the one that did that like, sort of pervy movie with the girls in the home. Like it was a girl's home, but they were also... Oh, God, yes. Uh, what was that movie called? Sucker Punch? Sucker Punch. Is that right? That, that is right, and I don't know why you knew that. I, I never would have come either. up with that title. Ah, uh, yes, the girls in the little schoolgirl outfits. And... Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was him. So see, yeah, I have no trust in Zack Snyder. Whereas I have trust in <laughs> Romero. I have no trust in Zack Snyder. I think that is good judgment on your part. I do think, for what it's worth, this is probably the best of the... Snyder oeuvre. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go do that. Okay. All right. I'll take your questions. Is it a virus? We don't know. How does it spread? Is it airborne? Airborne is a possibility. We don't know. Is this an international health hazard or a military concern? Both. Are these people alive or dead? Oh, we don't know. 
What are they? I don't know. Why are they coming here? Memory, maybe. Instinct. Maybe they're coming for us. There are some things worse than death. And one of them is sitting here waiting to die. I don't want to die here. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Okay, we're back. Nikki and I have just watched Zack Snyder's 2004 version of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, This was a pretty successful movie, made over $100 million worldwide. It is pretty well respected. It tends to turn up on lists of the, you know, 20 greatest horror films of the 21st century so far kind of thing. Um, I think it was better than people were expecting it to be. I think, I do think people were excited at Zack Snyder when he burst onto the scene with this movie. My money has not done anything good since then, but other people seem to enjoy his stuff. Uh, Michael O'Sullivan in the Washington Post called this movie a paradigm of its genre. Bloody and bloody scary. Stylish, smart, audacious, and edgy. Darkly pessimistic, yet inflected with touches of deliciously sick humor. It more than surpasses the original. Uh, Stephen King, also a huge fan of this movie, called it genius perfected. Said the terror in Dawn transcends subtext and goes straight for the id. And I double-checked, he was talking about the new version. (laughs) Uh, I think most reviews tended to be more along the lines of Roger Ebert's, who said, The contrast between this new version of Dawn of the Dead and the 1979 George Romero original is instructive in the ways that Hollywood has grown more skillful and less daring over the years. From a technical point of view, the new Dawn is slicker and more polished, and the acting is better too. But it lacks the mordant humor of the Romero original, and although both films are mostly set inside a shopping mall, only Romero uses that as an occasion for satirical jabs at a consumer society. So I think that was that was the general consensus, is that it was a very skillfully made horror movie mm-hmm. but it wasn't really saying as much as the original but what did you think Nakia? I would have to agree with Ebert um, having watched the two films back to back it is you know obvious that advances have been made in filmmaking and Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is very slick and it looks good and it looks technically proficient. He definitely had more money to work with. He definitely had more money to work with. Um, He had trained actors (laughs) to work with. Um, But he's right. The the sort of, the heart of it doesn't feel like it's there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it isn't really saying much of anything. And I didn't find myself caring about any of the characters, really. It's actually a really good cast. Yeah, they're all it's great, but I don't... Sarah Pauly yeah. and Ving Rhames and Mackay Pfeiffer. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a really good cast. I think it's a good cast. I think I was only invested in Ving Rhames and the gentleman who was on the roof of the... Andy. The Andy yes. on the, of the gun shop. Yeah. That's basically the only relationship I gave any care about. That um, was the love story at the heart really of this was. movie. It really was. Um, and they were trying to make Sarah Polly and sort of force this romantic storyline between Sarah Polly's character and Jake Weber's character, and I, it just didn't manifest to me. I didn't really feel... Anything. Yeah, I mean, these love stories set in the middle of a zombie apocalypse are right. always a little iffy. Right. It's like, okay, basically, you have very few options exactly. at this point. And your husband just died. And your husband just <laughs> tried, uh, 
tried to eat you. Yes. So, yeah, that's a rebound relationship. So, yeah, it just wasn't, like, there wasn't anything for me to connect to, really, mm-hmm. in this. I mean, yes, it is a well-done zombie movie, but that's sort of what, it's a zombie movie. That's sort of all it is. Okay, well, let's kind of go through it. I mean, the basic plot is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when people talk about this movie, a lot of what they talk about are the first 10 minutes. The opening uh, sequence is actually really impactful because it does that thing that, you know, good zombie films do, which is sort of create this atmosphere of tension and this feeling that something is off, but we don't quite know what's wrong yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters don't know quite what's wrong, and you're sort of getting snippets of pieces of information that are hinting to the fact that the world is burning around them, but we don't know that yet. Right. So Anna, Sarah Polly's character, is a nurse, and we open with her at the hospital yeah. trying to get out, and they're talking about this patient who came in with some unrelated... With a bite. It with was, a, they said he was in a bar fight. Well, he was and he in a bar bitten. fight. And then all of a sudden we're looking at a scan of his brain. It's like, well, why am I looking at a scan of his brain? Right. Like, why did the doctor order right. a brain scan? And right. they said, well, he was altered. Right. And then all of a sudden he's in the ICU. So it's this sort of something's not right. Yeah. Uh, sort of, in, you know, impending doom, sort of creeping inevitability of this this sort of disaster. Uh, and then as, as Sarah Pauly's character is leaving the hospital, we see a woman wheeled in on a gurney with a pretty serious wound to the neck and you're mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's it has begun, <laughs> you know? And then all that, so she gets in her car and she drives home and she turns the radio on and we hear the sort of beginning of a news announcement. This that, is a special news right? bulletin. <laughs> and she immediately changes it to some, you know, poppy music uh, station and drives home. And she comes across this little girl mm-hmm. on skates who was very, you know, excited to show that she could do a backward skate. And then there's this sort of lingering shot on the little girl with the skates as she rolls away, so you know that her life is not <laughs> going to work out. Um, so there are more just sort of little Easter eggs hidden throughout the rest of that that sequence. You know, she and her boyfriend or husband, I can't remember their name, yeah, her partner, are uh, having sex in the shower while there's a special news report going on on the television. So they're totally missing that. Um, So this idea that all, you know, that society sort of breaking down around you and it would be very easy, at least for a while, to sort of tune it out. Yeah. um, Until it, you know, enters your bedroom in the form of this little girl who has turned into a zombie (laughs) and bites the shit out of your partner. Because he goes to her to help her, as right. you would do if you no, saw a child you don't. with if, blood if, no, all no, over its face. No, no. You would go to the child Again, and say, oh my god, what happened? Let me help questions. you. You ask questions. Like, she's not speaking, so you ask questions and you say... She might no, have been... She no. might have, you know, fallen down What's and your name smashed address? her face on her... What is the date today? Rollerblades. Just ask some questions. <laughs> and if they don't answer... See, again, this is the thing with you, is you... You assume that you would know you were in a horror movie right from the start, and you would not. What I'm saying is, if I see you bleeding from the mouth, and you're just sort of standing there weirdly... You are basically a compassionate person. You would go and help that person. This is what you do. Here's how it goes down. She hasn't come in the bedroom yet. You close the door. You lock the door. And from the other side of the door, you say, hey, are you all right? You... You, like, slip a questionnaire yeah, under exactly. the door? Yeah, exactly. what's going on, sweetie? Yeah, okay. And if she doesn't answer, yeah. you get the fuck out of the house. Because you you already know you're in a horror movie, and these characters <laughs> no, do not. I do No, it's not about that. <laughs> That's some weird-ass shit to happen. 
So I mean, it is 6.30 in the morning, right? and this is the neighbor's kid standing in her nightgown in the middle of your And bleeding, ever, just, all, just like, yeah. hey, what's going yeah. on? So yeah, she bites the shit out of yeah, him. Yeah, pretty much just takes his whole neck. Yeah, and things in this, it's slightly different in this version from other zombie interpretations. People die really quickly, and then they come back they to life really quickly. quickly. Like, yes. It's just, it's almost instantaneous. Yeah. So he bleeds out, he dies. 30 seconds later, he's smashing his head through the bathroom door yeah. trying to kill Sarah. Yeah, and she does not make the mistake of trying to go and hug him after he's (laughs) turned. She's pretty good about saying, oh, this is not right. Yeah. And goes to lock herself in the bathroom and try to get the fuck out of the house. Yeah. And then you have that. So she escapes out the bathroom window, gets in her car, drives away while he's chasing her until he finds, you know, free range meat on the sidewalk and goes after that. (laughs) And uh, then there's this sort of overhead shot of her driving through this Milwaukee suburb sort of complex and it's on fire, and there are car crashes. This and... is the thing, and I was like, I was interested to go back and watch this movie again because I was like, was I just wrong about Zack Snyder when I saw this movie the mm-hmm. first time? Because mm-hmm. I actually did really like this version when I saw it the first time, and I was excited to see more Zack Snyder. And it's like, no, there are some really nice shots yeah. in this movie. Yeah, there's some really nice stuff. Um, that whole sequence of her driving, mm-hmm. there's a lot of long takes from different angles of yep. her car going through the neighborhood. And all the chaos And all the her. stuff happening yeah. as she goes through it and people jumping on her car. Mm-hmm. And there's a great long overhead shot of the car as she, and we see the city beyond her aflame yeah. and everything. There's some really nice stuff in there. Yeah. I don't know what happened to him, but he... But he I had think, some talent. Yeah, I mean, I think those were sort of the m- more interesting minutes of the film mm-hmm. in total for me. Um, both just sort of visually and, you know, narratively. I just thought it was really sort of a powerful way to drop us into the middle of this um, disaster in progress. Right. We also see, which you talked about in the, in the other movie, the almost instantaneous breakdown of compassion Mm -hmm. and you know neighborly concern yeah like she walks out of the house the guy across the street has a gun and he's pointing it at her and you know just stay the fuck away from me (laughs) and then other people as she's driving ask her for help ask her for help and like please get me out of here and she doesn't stop and she doesn't open the door yeah it's just like you know that whole that illusion of civility right and empathy just instantly out the window Yeah. yeah okay so then we get that, the credit sequence. This is something else Snyder is good at, is this this montage, the music montage, credit sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, the one in Watchmen is actually the best part of Watchmen, too. Um, but here it's Johnny Cash's... Yeah, when the man comes around. The man comes around. And that's a nice, that's a nice segment, that little mm-hmm. montage, again, of just society crumbling. So then we meet up with Ving Rains, Jake Weber, Mackay Pfeiffer, and Mackay Pfeiffer's pregnant wife. <laughs> And they all sort of just instantly decide to go to the mall. Right. Like, there's none of the buildup of the first movie. It's just like, okay, well, let's go to the mall. Right. And they go to the mall. Yes, they go to Crossroads Mall, which is a nice little name there. They're at a crossroads and see. Uh, (laughs) Deep. Um, Yeah, so they get to the mall. They have a, you know, a little kerfuffle with a couple of zombies when they first get there. And then they run into... There's not a lot of zombies, though. They're not not, The mall is not full of zombies like it was in the original. This is... Apparently the mall was closed when everything went down, so it wasn't full of people. Two zombies that they have to sort of take out. Yeah. And Mackay Pfeiffer's wife is bitten, but doesn't tell anyone about that. 
And that's going to come back later. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, at this point, we don't know the bites are bad. Nobody knows that. Mm-hmm. So but then we run into the real problem, which is the three security guards who have been sort of holding fort at yeah. the mall and are feeling very gun happy and, and protective of their safe space. Yeah. So, I mean, the lead security guard guy. CJ is CJ is, you know lead dick and he's basically you know we're gonna put you people on lockdown and control where you go and what you do and blah 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 uh and then things come to a head when they're on the roof one day and they see a truck full of people driving to the mall yeah for sanctuary cj the dick doesn't want to let the people in yeah because you never know they may be messed up which to be fair (laughs) He kind of turns out to be right about that. Turns out to be right about that. And, you know, Sarah Polly's group saying, no, no, no. Like, you know, we are not going to. See, okay, wait, I got to stop you there. Because this is what I was saying before is that you would be the asshole in these movies. I absolutely would be You would be be CJ. I would be CJ. I probably, well, no, I wouldn't be. And I think you need to. I wouldn't be full on CJ. Here's the thing. Here's what I would. So we're going to get to this. Okay. Here's what I would do. So, okay. So let's just go through what happens. Okay. So, you know, Sarah Polly's group is like, absolutely not. That's an inhumane thing to do. We cannot leave those people down yeah. there to die. We have to let them into the mall. They end up having to do a little standoff with CJ. They confiscate his gun yeah. and basically put him in, you know, the mall brig or whatever. Uh, and mall then jail. Mall jail. And decide to let this new group of folks into the mall. Yeah. Someone wheels in <laughs> a woman. In a wheelbarrow. In a wheelbarrow. Who's, like... You can hear her breathing. She looks as though she had been left in the bottom of a well. (laughs) And her body's all sort of distended and the skin doesn't look good. She does not look good. And she has a very visible bite on her arm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's fine. Recognizable to anyone who has ever seen one of these movies. But even if you haven't, you've now seen what the zombies look like because uh-huh. you you've you've lived in that world for however for you know for, for a minute. A couple hours. For a couple but still you know what that shit looks like. Uh-huh. That's what that bitch looked like. <laughs> So immediately, so you do the kind thing. You say, okay, yes, come in. And then you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe not. What's wrong with that bitch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then again, you do the, what is your name? What is today's date? How, you know, what you do, if she can't do that shit, pop, pop in the head and just get it the fuck <laughs> over with. Because we know where this is going. She's in a wheelbarrow. She's going to be of no help to you anyway. Just, let's just cut it so that's where you know i'm part cj and part sarah Polly. i will let the people in but if you come in looking like the crypt keeper i'm gonna be like oh maybe not you so much sorry that woman was so out of it she wouldn't even have she, protested or right any, you could have just left her outside killed she, wouldn't like, the difference. I mean, she was far gone here's yeah. the thing this is who you have to be. Do you okay. remember, and I know you do because you love this movie, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character in in Serenity? Yeah. Like, very just, not emotional about it. Like, you just have to die. Because <laughs> it's the right thing. Because you're fucking everybody's shit up. Yeah, again, he was the villain of that Except movie. Except he, ha- there was a code there, though, of just like, yeah. it's bad for business for you to be alive. <laughs> 
That's so not not a good role model. I I, I feel I, I stand by it. I really do. That's Fall on the sword. Do the right thing. See, I feel like you come dangerously close at times to a character that you hated, which was the vest wearing. Okay, see, no, Paul Riser no, no, in no, Aliens. No. Because that was all about money and corporate greed. Mm-hmm. He was like, I just need to protect this because it's an asset of the company. No, I'm saying that woman looked as though she had been dead and buried <laughs> for a month. And then you brought that bitch back. We'll need that. We'll need that sort of drama in our lives. Shit's hard already. She didn't look like she was in the best health before she, she got She really bitten. didn't. Like, she was just going to be a liability. So... <laughs> At some point, she was going to die. Okay. So... So we have this new group of folks, and I just feel like, aside from a few lines from each of them, you don't really get to know... Yeah, there's way more characters in this movie than in the original. There's like nine or ten people in the mall. But only a couple of them register in any way. Some of them, I couldn't even tell you their names or anything about... Like the blonde woman with the curly hair. Mm -hmm. She has one sex scene with the douche. And then she gets... Douchey modern a, family guy. Yeah, a, a chainsaw. And it's just... So, yeah. I, I mean, I guess you're there just for like... But there's like an old guy... Body count, that yeah. That has no identity of no. any kind. He would pop up in frame and I'm like, oh, I forgot that guy was <laughs> even still alive. Like, who is he? So, yeah, I just um, didn't really have any connection to any of the characters. We have Max Headroom and his daughter. Right, who was also bitten. Also bitten. And again, wanted to pull the like... Maybe it's not going to happen to me. It's definitely going to happen to you. You're definitely dying and then coming back and trying to eat people. Mm -hmm. And this is after the large woman has already died and come back. So we know what this deal is. And Sarah Paul even says, I think it's the bites. I think they get infected by the bites. She does figure that out pretty quickly. But then when it comes to shooting him in the head, she's like, oh no, maybe I'm wrong on that. Bitch, you are right. You know you're right. Again. You need to be Chiwetel Ejiofor and be like, cut it. Just. And they do it, they do several times in this movie what they did with uh, Roger in the first movie, which is like, we're going to sit here, we're going to watch them die, yeah. we're going to wait for the exact moment they come back and try to eat my face, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to shoot him in the head. Yeah. And I, I sort of have to side with you on this one. Thank you! Like, at the point where I'm bitten, definitely the point where I'm starting to look a little pallid, starting to get a little gray in the face. They're standing there having an argument. He is sweating bullets yeah. and, like, losing weight as he's <laughs> sitting there. Just, like, just... Just, just put me out of my misery at that this. point. Just end it. Don't give me a chance no. to, to bite your face off. No. Just shoot me in the head, man. <laughs> Do the right... That is the right thing. Do the right thing. But he has a daughter who yeah. had already lost, I guess, everyone else yeah. in the family, and mm-hmm. so she is distraught. Yeah. And that results in her becoming very attached to this dog that they find. <laughs> yes. Chips. Chips. Who is like a circus dog. This is a very talented like, dog. Jeez. <laughs> he just comes when you whistle yeah. and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I, okay. She also becomes very attached to the little Zac Efron looking security guard. The too. security, yes. The nice they also security fall guard. Deeply in love within 15 minutes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. We got no time for foreplay in the zombie really apocalypse. Don't. Um, what else? Uh, the designated asshole now is, what's his name for Modern Family? Ty Burrell. Ty Burrell, Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, Ty Burrell is the wealthy, entitled asshole who's pretty cynical about the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Which... And just a prick for no reason, actually. sort of a dick. Like, he comes in just being a prick to everybody, and it's like, okay, it's maybe not necessary. Ving Rhames' character had hopes that he could go, that there was this sort of... Green zone, military zone, where his right. brother was. There was, was a fort right. nearby. 
And Ty Burrell just shits all over that and says, no, everybody there is sort of dead. Dead-ish, he Dead-ish, says. which is just like... He's like, is everybody there dead? And he's like, dead-ish. dead-ish. Uh, so, and he also has terrible sideburns. It, the sideburns bothered me the whole movie. Um, <laughs> That's how you knew he was an asshole. <laughs> So we don't get, you know, a lot of, a big chunk of Romero's film was the sort of fortifying, cleaning out and fortifying the mall. Yeah. And then their sort of descent into consumers' comforts. We don't yeah, really get they just sort of leave all of that out yeah. of this. Which, I mean, they, there's a little small shopping montage. There's like not, one yeah. music montage yeah. of them like shopping. But mostly just And they're not even shopping. Out. They're like playing with yeah. stuff in the mall. Yeah. Like they're shooting baskets. Right. Or Ty Burrell and the blonde woman are having sex and videotaping, and videotaping it in it. the video store. <laughs> There's stuff like that. But that the whole satirical right. element has been done. excised yeah. from this story. Almost to the point where it's like, well, why did you even bother to set it in a mall? Right. You took out everything interesting that Romero did right. with that setting. Right. Um, but then there's some other nice stuff that wasn't in the original, like Andy. Yes. So Andy was a gentleman who had been stranded in a gun shop. Um, and he was on the roof, and then he and Ving Rain sort of developed this sort of touching little friendship uh, via whiteboard yeah. and binoculars, where they would sort of hold up messages to yeah. each other and play chess, and they'd sort of play duck hunt with uh, the zombie horde in the mall, where they would pick <laughs> outside out a, the mall, right? They would uh, pick a zombie that resembled a famous person, including Burt Reynolds, I believe, was one of yeah. them. Jay Leno. Jay Leno. <laughs> Uh, and he would be able to shoot them, so he was a good shot. And then, you know, one of the last signs he holds up is sort of, is it says, hungry. Yeah. And he doesn't have a shirt on, and you can sort of see that he's sort of wasting away over there by himself. And so they come up with a plan to get him food in the meantime yeah. before they can all escape together. That plan involves chips. Using chips, the Wonder Dog. They're going to put sandwiches <laughs> in this, like, dog vest. And send chips through the horde of zombies. Because zombies apparently don't like dog meat. Apparently. That's Which, a... you know, you have taste. That's great. I'm sure PETA appreciated that very much. And Nicole, who is Chip's adopted owner, is very distraught at the idea that they are going to send chips out into mm-hmm. the zombie wild. Um, because she's become very attached because I guess she's lost her whole family. So now she's like deeply in love with this dog to the point of stupidity. This is where we come back to you're not being sentimental about animals and I am sentimental, but it's also, it's a dog. You're going to jeopardize your life and the life of everyone around you to save this dog. Yes. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just not going to. I just, yeah. Nope. Uh, Right. So they send Chip over. Chip gets to Andy's gun shop and... When as he's letting the dog in, obviously zombies sort of just storm the door and get in. And one of the sort of more affecting moments of the film with the sandwiches, they had sent Andy a walkie-talkie. Yeah. And so they're talking to Andy, and he's like, "There are lots of them in here, and it's it's hard, and I've been bitten, and I'm bleeding a lot." And he obviously doesn't realize that being bitten is right. He doesn't know that that's a death sentence. Right. He's done. Uh, And so Ving Rhames doesn't tell him. Yeah. You know. This is the end for you. He just says, you know, we're coming for you. Just hold on. It's going to be okay. And Nicole loses her fucking mind. (laughs) Because, oh, my dog, my dog might be in danger. And jumps into a truck and drives through the zombie horde. Yeah. 
to go over to save the dog at Andy's gun shop. And she actually makes it. She does. Which but you wonder why then why didn't, didn't they do, do that, that in the first place? Right. right. Just don't send then we should have just done that. Yeah. But she also gets caught in there with zombie Andy. And yeah. It's a whole thing. Um, and then people have to go get her and put themselves in danger to go get her. Before that, I think, is one of the best moments of the film is when they're on the roof again with the binoculars. Mm-hmm. And they look across, and Andy seems to be writing yeah. something on the whiteboard, and he lifts the whiteboard up, and it's just a smear, smear of blood. blood on it. So he's... Andy's gone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that was, again, the the sort of most interesting character, and that's the character we don't really hear anything from <laughs> right. outside of over the walkie-talkie right. towards the end. Okay, well, speaking of good decisions, let's talk about Mackay Pfeiffer oh, and God. his pregnant girlfriend. Jesus. So Makai, (laughs) it's sort of alluded to that he obviously made some poor choices in life and feels like, you know, his wife and this new baby is sort of a new beginning for him, um, a way to sort of start clean with a new generation. Yes. He says he feels he was, his purpose in life now is to bring this child into the world and give it what he never had. (sighs) Even... If there were no zombie apocalypse, that baby was going to have a rough life. Yeah. Um, so let's just be real about how sort of generational poverty and shit works. Um, <laughs> but yes, so he's the only one that knows that his wife, I believe her name is Luda, mm-hmm. has been bitten. And so he sort of... Yeah, which at one point, at some point, like they just kind of like... He takes Luda off to some other part of the mall. Right. And none of the other people have seen Luda right. in what appears to be like weeks. They ask about her. And he's they ask like, about her. Fine. <laughs> and, and Sarah Paul is like, well, look, I, I want to come check on her. And he's like, no, no. Yeah. Like, you'd think they would have maybe gotten a little suspicious yeah. at some point here. No. That maybe something was wrong. We don't ask questions about the very pregnant woman that we haven't seen in weeks. <laughs> and you just keep sort of furtively going to visit her. Uh-huh. So, we also haven't seen Luda. Anymore. Well, actually, we see Luda once when she's sort of shopping in the baby store, looking at baby clothes. And she looks... Terrible. She, again, sweaty, a little sweaty, pale, a little pale. Mm-hmm. You know, dark circles yeah. around the eyes. Clearly, not doing well. She does not have that motherly glow. She does that not. maternal glow. She looks like what you think pregnant women should look like, which is you have a parasite sucking the life <laughs> out of you. That's what she looks like. So Makai's with the group, and someone mentioned. I think Sarah Polly and and the rest of the group are having a sort of conversation about. Okay, we definitely think it's the bites. That that's how it happens, and a light bulb goes off in his head, and he's like, oh, yeah. should probably check on my wife. Yeah. The next time we see her, she's shackled to a bed <laughs> in labor, mm-hmm. in <laughs> uh, impending zombiedom, and he's just going to coach her through this. Yeah. Because he's determined to have this family. It's very important to him. Luda dies in labor, obviously, mm-hmm. and then comes back. Yeah. As a pregnant zombie, which is probably like the worst kind, because they're probably pissed off. It's just like, you're fucking zombie, and you're pregnant, and you're in labor. It's a pain in my fucking ass. Um, you think that's even more uncomfortable I think that's even than just more being regular pregnant, is to be zombie pregnant? Yeah, you're reanimated dead and pregnant uh-huh. with a zombie baby. And, you know, we see, there's a shot of her belly, and we see the baby sort of punching through her stomach, <laughs> yeah. which again... <laughs> should be a red flag of like, that doesn't seem right. No. <laughs> so, but Makai wants this family. Yeah. Really badly. Makai's just going to soldier on. 
So she births something. <laughs> and finally, one of the group members says, you know. Maybe go check on Luda. Time to go check on Luda. Yeah. So I don't, it was sort of one of the it's older women. The, the older group, woman who was the truck driver. The truck driver. Right. She goes into the store where Luda, where Makai has been hiding Luda. Comes across this really warped manger scene. <laughs> And Makai is sort of lovingly cradling this baby that's swaddled. So we can't really see what the baby looks yeah. like. But we know that, that is, the baby's not right. Yeah. And she... What have you done to its eyes? <laughs> <laughs> so the older woman sees Luda in full zombie mode. Shoots Luda in the head. Yeah. Makai's like... You're as one would. As one would. But Makai takes that personally because you're trying to mess with my family. Now, yeah. Mm-hmm. My lovely zombie family. So he shoots her. She then shoots him. They both die. Then the rest. I of- feel like there were there were like scenes of Makai going crazy oh, that were missing from this movie. Absolutely. I mean, there's no sane person sees their wife going full zombie <laughs> and then births this thing and uh-huh. is like, "Yep, this is my family. Yeah. I'm totally gonna make this work. Absolutely, we can do this. Let's make sure we get them into good schools. Like it's just not gonna happen." I don't know what your thing is going to happen. This is not the sort of turnaround moment. Well, it's probably easier to get into a good school now because the waiting list is, you know. There are no teachers, though. Oh, that's a good point. So, yeah. you know, yeah. what are you going to do? So that's, that's a good news, bad news situation. Right. <laughs> so the group comes upon the the dead body of Makai, the dead body of the older truck driver woman, the dead body of Luda, and this swaddled baby. This adorable little swaddled baby. Until we pull back. <laughs> <laughs> the blankets and i i don't even know what to des- how to describe what that child i mean it's the train spotting baby but worse which i didn't think was possible because the train spotting baby breaks my heart every time this baby is just we only get just a quick shot we get a, but it's enough <laughs> did that work for you was that horrifying to you uh, I, f- I think there were like mixed feelings there were mixed feelings people, people were like that baby looks like shit they should, just shouldn't have shown the baby <laughs> it's like the Shyamalan aliens like just yeah. don't show it mm-hmm. um i mean yeah you definitely didn't want to linger on it because then you get too close of and a i look. think there is a director's cut in which we get more footage yeah, of the baby I don't and i you, yeah. yeah you don't want to do that you definitely want to do it kind of quick like <laughs> just enough to get them to go oh what the fuck and then move away from it that ain't right right <laughs> and you know, we pan away, and then we hear a gunshot, yeah. and that's them. We hear a lot of gunshots in this movie. We hear a lot of gunshots. It's a weird thing. This movie is actually less gory mm-hmm. than the original is, mm-hmm. you know, for all the advances in special effects. Right. And, um, it's actually much, I mean, it's, I can't call it restrained, but it's not right. as over-the-top gory right. as the original was. Like, Romero would have shown the baby blowing up in a shotgun blast. <laughs> And all these other people that we've had to kill, Max Headroom and I mean, with the, the Max Headroom, like we would have seen their heads explode right. when we shot them. With his murder, I think them not showing it could have been some sort of statement on this sort of our need to remove ourselves. Like we don't want to have our hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Like we knew that he needed to be dealt with, but we didn't want to have to be the ones to do it. So you send Ving Rhymes in there with his rifle in there to do it. And you just sort of mm. sit and watch TV until you hear the gunshot go off right. and then you know that it's done. The baby, I think you just don't want to show people shooting babies, <laughs> even if it's an evil zombie baby. I just think you just... 
So, I mean, obviously everyone's sort of fucked up coming off of that. And they decide, we don't want to die in a mall. Mm-hmm. So let's get an escape plan together. And that's when they... And again, I, I feel like compa- like in the original, we talked about that that was... It felt like there was a real meaning to that decision. Right. That, like, right. that they needed to be set free from this sort of consumer mm-hmm. complacency mm-hmm. in the mall. Mm-hmm. Here, it's a little bit more... Like, I'm not even sure it's justified. Yeah. You seem to actually be pretty okay in this mall. Right. And, you know, you don't really have any better right they're gonna go get on ty burrell's boat and float to some island that they don't know anything about or yeah yeah so it's not an awesome plan no but it is a plan and i think part of you know in zombie films and zombie television i feel like a lot of it is just making moves for the sake of making them Mm -hmm. sometimes so they decide to trick out some like abandoned buses that they found in the garage of the mall into, you know... Like barbed wire and snowplow on the front and chainsaw slots where you can chainsaw the zombies outside. It's like BattleBots where they have, you know, the chainsaws and the spikes and there's flamethrowers and all this other stuff. It's almost like Mad Max Fury Road. It's like they're tricking out these vehicles for... Which which is the next stage of the zombie apocalypse, right? right? Is then, Then we're in Mad Max territory. All dumbass Nicole brings to the table is that she spray paints graffiti on the bus <laughs> to make it pretty, which is just like, bitch, you're not helping anything. Like, this is useless. Go get your fucking dog and get out of my face. So they decide they're going to take these buses and they're just going to ram through the zombie horde to dr- get to the pier, to get to Tyrell's yeah. boat, and then float away. That plan doesn't totally work out. Now, there are a few mishaps along the way. There are a few mishaps along the way. Including, and I mean... If if my mother told us once, she told us a thousand times, do not operate a chainsaw inside a moving vehicle. It's not a good idea. No, it's just a bad idea. There are no seatbelts. Don't play ball no in the house. Handling. Don't chainsaw inside the moving car. Like, just don't do it. He stands there, chainsaw running, <laughs> turns to face blonde girl number two, and just saws right through they her body. They hit a little bump in the road or something, and he just saws right through her, yes. And it, it's probably the bloodiest, goriest scene One of, them. Mm-hmm. of the whole movie. So yeah, bad plan on that. I think a lot of the budget probably went to, uh, there's a scene where CJ has, I guess like a, a gas... Propane tank. A propane tank. Propane and propane-related accessories. <laughs> and they throw it into the Hank, H- Hank Hill would, you He'd know. He'd be very proud. Yeah. Though it's not being used for its authorized purposes. <laughs> um, they throw it into the zombie horde. You know, the zombie's like, what is this? Holds it up for a perfect target, and CJ shoots it, and, and it sort of creates this... Massive explosion. Massive explosion. I don't know that a single propane... Yeah. Maybe it would. I don't know. I mean, the physics of it seems a little... I never tried it. I, well... Now we know to try it in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just sort of decimated an entire crowd. But it seemed like a small zombies. nuclear explosion. It, it really was. Like it just sort of, everything sort of flattened <laughs> around. Um, but that was a pretty cool effect. Yeah. Um, and again, that was like this overhead shot. So you just see the zombies sort of fall like dominoes. So it was, yeah. it was an interesting shot. I mean, so, and then basically they, they get to the pier. Mm-hmm. Several of them have died yeah. along the way. Um, Ty Burrell gets bit and turns into a zombie. And then Sarah Polly gets to shoot him in the head, which she has been wanting to do for the entire movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, someone else starts to shoot him. She's like, no, no, I got this. <laughs> I have been dying to shoot this asshole in the head. Get to the pier. CJ doesn't make it. Which, speaking of which, speaking of, like, 
what I feel like are missing scenes from this movie somewhere. Mm-hmm. About halfway through the movie, CJ becomes a nice guy. He's on board, yeah. yeah. He, he's been the antagonist in the first half of the movie, mm-hmm. and and it, there's no explanation for it. Yeah. He just suddenly becomes a nice guy and a team player, and at the end is, like, self-sacrificing. Right. Like, he when did this happen? Up. How did this... Again, maybe we need to watch the director's cut and we see. We absolutely I think there's missing stuff here. at all. I think once you shoot a zombie baby in the head, shit changes. <laughs> Changes your man. It changes like nom. It just you just come out different. <laughs> so yeah, so we lose CJ, we lose Ty Burrell's character. And we lost the blonde chick whose name we never even chick, learned, right, and the old guy whose name we never even right. learned. And then Michael Sarah Pauli's would be boyfriend is bitten. Has been bitten and decides I'm not gonna get off in the boat, get on the boat. I'm gonna stay here and turn into a zombie while watching the sunrise. Yeah, it's a very beautiful moment. But again, did you think we was going to let your ass on this boat? No, Sarah Polly seemed to think. She's like, I can help you. I can fix you. You have helped no one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't fix this. Let him sit on the pier and turn in peace. (laughs) And you sail away. So then they sail away and it's a happy ending. Except it's not. No, it is. The the credits start rolling and it's a happy ending. It's not. Because during the credits we get this sort of found footage... So, a little found footage horror film added on at the end here. Where, you know, there's trouble with the boats, and then they finally get to the island, and the island is, of course, occupied by zombies. Yeah. And then the last sort of scene we see is, you know, zombies coming at Swarming them left and, and right. So left to assume the assumption that is that they die. Everybody dies, yeah. probably, except the dog. Well, the, yeah, the dog is going to live forever. Yeah. Chips will be Chips fine. Chips will inherit the earth. Chips will be fine. <laughs> Chips gonna be chips. Okay, so basically we've been recapping this movie because I don't know that there's a lot else there's nothing really to, talk to talk about. about I mean, it, it really is a fairly straightforward zombie film, mm. and it's not a bad zombie film. It's it's good. It's done well. I think there are a few shots that are really impactful. Yeah, but... there are several sequences that are really yeah. very nicely done, uh, but there's no deeper meaning no. to it. It's a little soulless. It is. I would prefer to watch Romero's Dawn of the Dead than. Mm-hmm. Snyder's. Which one was scarier? I mean, I guess you could argue that Snyder's was scarier because the zombies moved faster and seemed to be stronger and smarter. Um, And there were definitely more sort of close call moments in the Snyder version than in in the Romero version. So... It was at least tenser. And you also, you don't have that thing where the zombies are played for comedy right. in this version. There's no humor. There's nothing you really... Know, for better and worse. Right. I think that's right. I think that's missing from this version, yeah. too. But it does make them scarier. Right. That we're not hitting them in the face with pies. Right. <laughs> Robbing them of their jewelry and Robbing wallets. Them, right. 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 Uh, did you have a favorite part of this movie? I mean, I think my favorite part is that sort of opening sequence when she's driving mm. out away from her home. And you get the overhead shots of the, the suburb and... Yeah sort of breakdown of society that's happening all around. Um, actually, no. So <laughs> when, at some point, when they're, when they're in the mall, the power goes out and they have to like go to some sub-basement level. Right, to, to fix get, the generators fix or the something. Generator. And it's, so, I, you know, it's dark and they're in this sort of empty garage space. And then all of a sudden this zombie's like skittering across the ceiling but he has no legs. Yeah, like, it's just that's a torso. Right, I forgot about that zombie. And he grabs one of the security guards. That was pretty good. Just because it was like, that zombie has no legs. But he was, like, <laughs> on the roof somehow, just sort of maneuvering. Um, so that was probably the best zombie shot outside of the zombie baby. But I haven't... I'm not sure how I feel about the zombie baby. <laughs> 
Okay, so let's look big picture here. Okay. So you said at the beginning that, first of all, you claim that you don't like horror movies. I don't. You enjoyed both of these movies. I mean, Snyder's was fine, but yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also, you said one of the reasons you don't enjoy horror movies is because you get these lasting images in your head. Yes, I still see the baby. Okay, I was going to, that's what I was asking is yes. what, what, what are your takeaway images from these movies? I still see the baby from Snyder's. Okay. And I still see the helicopter chop of the zombie <laughs> from Romero. But that's, but that's a good, that's it is a good, a good that, that is definitely like, that's, that's a, a perfect, treasured memory. <laughs> that's a perfect shot. Um, the zombie baby is definitely like. This, and, I, and maybe I just have a thing with, you know, babies made to look, you know, gory or terrible. Because, again, with the train spotting baby, like, I will never forget the train spotting baby for as long as I live. So this just may be another in that list of just, like, babies I don't want to Rosemary's see. baby, train spotting yeah. baby, zombie baby. Pretty much. How about the kid from Pet Cemetery with the scalpel at the end? That's like... That's actually not that bad. No? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's one of those scenes where you're like, that actor is just going to be fucked up for life. <laughs> like that little adorable, toe-headed two-year-old should not be in this movie. <laughs> now wave the knife at the lady. You know who did fuck me up, though? The Children of the Corn. For a long time. Like, I don't really like hyper-blonde kids because I'm just like, Ugh, something's not right. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that, you just... That's another list you just remind another movie you just reminded me to add to the list. Well, I've seen Children of the Corn. Now, yeah, there's a movie called Village of the Damned that you're gonna like. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm not a fan. Make a note. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, you know, what did we learn about surviving a zombie apocalypse from these two movies? Shoot everybody. <laughs> That's always my takeaway. That's your takeaway from everything. Everyone. That was your takeaway from the sound of music. Well, they needed to die. <laughs> if the Nazis weren't going to do it, then I needed to do it. Somebody needed to step in there, take those bitches out. <laughs> Fucking songs. Well, I mean, I, I do think zombie movies teach you the value of having a group. Okay, which contradicts what you just said. No, that's what I'm saying. 30 seconds ago. That is what I'm saying. Okay. And so maybe I would be part of the group, but I would be the person in the group that would be like, the bitch in the wheelbarrow gotta go. She's not well. <laughs> You'd be the hard-edged, practical be the member hard edge, of the group. Like, I love you. I'm, you know, I'm a sensitive Pisces. I'm very, you know. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. But you're not gonna do it yourself. You're gonna make Bing Rames do it. I mean, he's being Reigns, but I mean, I could, if it comes down to it, I'll do it. All right. I don't think you should have a gun. I don't. I, I think, think I should absolutely have I a gun. I think you're going to be like Flyboy in the first movie. <laughs> like, just don't. You can fly the helicopter. Don't wave the gun around. I'm going to let other people do the shooting. Mm-hmm. People okay. with better judgment. I have excellent judgment. I may not have great aim, but I have excellent judgment. <laughs> okay, so where do these two films fall in the canon for you? Are we recommending these films to other viewers? I would recommend the Romero version. I don't know that I would recommend the Snyder version necessarily. I mean, if somebody, if you're into zombie films, this is a well done zombie movie, I guess. But it does. I mean, that's really all it is. There's mm-hmm. nothing else to it, which is fine. I mean, I think yeah, he uh, Snyder included sort of some callbacks to Romero's film Mm -hmm. besides the mall setting. You know, when they first get to the mall, they're up on the roof, and Ving Rhames 
you know, or Sarah Polly, someone asked, you know, why are they all coming? All, why are all the zombies coming to the mall? And Bing Rhames basically repeats Peter's line from Meryl's right. film, which is right. you know, instinct, maybe the sort of idea that they're sort of instinctually drawn to the mall. But then it doesn't explore all that stuff that Romero explored about consumerism and right. sort of the drive of capitalism. So then it just felt like a throwaway line a little because it, like the film wasn't really dealing with that at all or talking about that in any kind of real way which which again is i think i said at the beginning it's kind of how i feel about Zack snyder is that he does have a lot of technical skill Mm -hmm. i just don't feel a lot of intellect there and Mm -hmm. i don't feel a lot of soul there yeah that it just that's how i felt about his version of watchmen too it's like he did everything well he executed it well right it looked like watchmen but it just didn't feel mm-hmm. it just didn't have the depth it just didn't have the the resonance that mm-hmm. the book had yeah okay so what's our plan for the zombie apocalypse shoot you and the cat and wait okay i haven't even been bitten yet it's preemptive <laughs> did you hear me say our plan <laughs> You were telling me your plan, and the fact that those are different is a little disturbing to me. Or I will let you turn into a zombie, and then I will keep you as a pet like Michonne did at the beginning of The Walking Dead. (laughs) Chop off my arms and put me on a chain and just drag me around. We can live together forever. Isn't that romantic? It, it doesn't. That doesn't sound that different than what I have to look forward to anyway. That's a terrible thing to say. Oh my god. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in next week when... can't even say in celebration. In coordination with the release of Solo, a Star Wars movie in movie theaters, Nakia and I will be watching the final film in the original Star Wars trilogy, Return of the Jedi. No. What do you mean, no? I've seen all the Jedis. You haven't seen all the Jedis. I've seen all the Jedis. <laughs> Jedi is already plural. You don't need to do anything else the to Jedi it. Sees. No, you've seen the two new Star Wars movies. And I saw the first one. The first two of the original movies. So I've seen them. Okay. That's There's like 12 movies that at this point. That doesn't mean that they're necessary. It doesn't mean that you need to see Well, them. the original trilogy is necessary and we need to complete that. I really don't think it is. So I really, I'm not interested in doing this. Okay. So this is going to be fun. Not for me, no. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at FreeRangeCritic, or email us at Michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a movie that Nakia needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. Let's go to the mall. (laughs) Okay.